Hello, this is Sean Patrick Hannafin, and this is the Composed Pile. Uh, this is episode four, and this is part two of the Forgotten Wish discussion. Uh, let's see, yeah, it's finally part two. What, it's been a couple, about two mu- over two months, really. Um, uh, but I can guarantee that the next episode will definitely be, uh, next week. So today, today is Friday, December the 5th, and so next week, on December 12th, the, uh, part three will I guarantee come out, and then hopefully uh, the fourth and final part will be out before the end of the month as well. Hopefully, I hope. But, you know, Christmas is coming up, so it might get busy, so that might be in January. Um, but the next episode will definitely be next week. Um, and basically, we're in this, uh, in this episode, uh, Daniel and I are still uh, discussing the Forgotten Wish. Basically, it just takes off, uh, it starts right where we left off in the last episode back in the end of September, or whenever it was. Um, so we're still talking about the Forgotten Wish. Um, if you ha- if you didn't listen to the last episode, episode three, which was the part one of the Forgotten Wish, you might want to listen to that because here we're starting right where we left off. So you might not understand what the heck we're talking about if you didn't listen to the previous episode. Um, so thank you for listening, and I hope this uh, episode is enjoyable, if not, um, if not, uh, what do you call it when you learn something from it? Um, if not. If, what's the word? Hmm. If you don't learn, well, you know. Well, you, you know what I mean. I, okay. Have fun. Bye. Oh, okay, well. <laughs> Have fun listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for not hating me too much. Lord. Make me a great composer. Your work is ingenious. It's quality work. And there are simply too many notes. That's all. Just cut a few and it'll be perfect. Make me famous through the world, dear God. Make me immortal. I never knew that music like that was possible. I was staring through the cage of those meticulous ink strokes. At an absolute... And the English horn and the oboe are very much alike anyway. They're just a little different. Like one's English and the other's. I don't know. What nationality is the oboe? I don't know. Don't say. I don't know. I guess French. No, not French. Italian. (laughs) I don't know. Okay. English horn. English horn, which is not really English. It's not really oh, horn. You said, okay, you should say German, because you're about to say that. Oh, yeah, German oboe. Ew, Is the no. oboe German? I don't know. The oboe's the, German. The all in all instruments are for all countries. Peace, peace, peace. How about that? There we go. <laughs> that worked. Peace. Peace among all the instruments. Well, oh yeah, because the horns are French. That's what's French. The horns. No, they're not. They're not French. <laughs> they, they, they just American Americans are kind of. It was popular in France, but it wasn't. It didn't originate from France. But they're French. 
No, they're not. They're just I horns. Think, I have, yeah, I have read some. They're still a lot of people still call them French horns, but I have read some orchestration books that they just want them to be called horns, just horns. Yeah, they're just horns, just not horns. French horns. Ask any so, hornist. But we still have to call the English horn the English horn because if we just called that a horn, that's already taken. That's it is already taken. So we could call so. it. We could just call it the oboe-like thing. <laughs> Okay, I think we're taking up time. <laughs> the <laughs> listeners are just like listening, like, uh, okay, what? No, I think they're like, this is awesome. <laughs> I think we're going to start a movement here. Of we the are going to start thing. a movement. The Opalife thing, yes. Alright, so, so the Opalife thing comes in, and it sounds really cool, so you should go ahead and play that. Okay, and so let's see. And that is, um, oh, whoops, you know what? I should open this window here. Do, 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 do. That is legato, and I have no idea what. What's well, well, it's not. Yeah, well, yeah, it is kind of legato, but it's overture doesn't really. Legato. Yeah, it's supposed to be, but or or uh, overture didn't register it apparently, and it sounds I, well, detached. I I <laughs> didn't I didn't do the proper MIDI editing to it. It's not not really overture's fault. Might be. For for any <laughs> for any potential overture for buyers, you just have to do. I think you have to look at the um, GPO uh, MIDI editing controls that I didn't. So what I do for Legato is I just put a slur over them, and what Overture automatically does is it extends the notes, but it doesn't do the MIDI editing for the actual Legato. It doesn't exactly detach it. I mean, it doesn't undetach it. Is undetach yeah, it a word? Unata I have no idea. Yeah, sure. Okay. It is now. <laughs> I made a word. <laughs> so proud of okay, myself. So, let's see. so this sounds. So let's see. The English horn sounds like this. And that's probably one of the cl that's like the melody I guess that's a melody. Yeah. Um it's not as melodic as some of my other melodies but it's um you know it's not it it it's just kind of a phrase that kind of flows over the arpeggios in the uh other instruments. No, I think it's melody. But whatever. I get, I yeah well yeah I mean it's still technically it's melody. It's what people it's, hum. The melody is what people hum in their heads and it's what I hum so I think it's a melody. Okay, that works. <laughs> <laughs> da, 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 da. Um, let's see. I'm humming uh, the Dragon of the Mist melody whenever I listen to this piece, <laughs> and it doesn't. It's and it so it makes it all atonal. So it, it's really bad. <laughs> um, okay, so let's let's move on. Okay, so the English horn does that. It does that phrase. Okay, so let's so the alto flute comes in, and no, 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 the, no. Piccolo, the piccolo <laughs> comes in. I have it marked wrong as the alto flute, but it's supposed to be piccolo. And I think someone yeah. asked that on YouTube, and I never answered them because I had no idea. But it, yeah, it's the piccolo. And it plays these little uh, motifs, I guess you could call them. Um, and they sound like this. It's just little itty-bitty uh, 16th notes. I know. Can you hear that? I can hear. Yeah, so it only plays for four measures, it looks like. It only plays three of those little things, and then it 
since it's descending, it goes from the piccolo to the flute. And it's kind of a rather smooth transition, I think, because they both sound similar. Yeah, I thought it was the same instrument. And then uh-huh, I looked at the not. score, and I was like, oh. Yeah, but it, well, yeah, well, it's a flute, so that's some orchestration knowledge for you, for listeners out there. That the alto flute, I mean the, oh, jeez, the piccolo... <laughs> Piccolo is like a little mini flute, basically. So they sound very similar. <laughs> um, it's yeah, it's higher what? Yeah, no, no, it's higher. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's see. Then what happens? Okay, so then, so let's see. Playing those two together, the uh, so this is the English horn, the flute, and the alto flute. Uh, the okay. Uh, I'm gonna have to go into my score here and actually. Because I still have it written as alto flute. I need to change it right now to piccolo. So I stop saying. Oh, you're wasting the listener's time. Oh, they've got all the time in the world. Are you sure? Yes. Oh, okay. If you don't, you can just leave a comment. See? It'll get people to comment. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. It's marketing. Marketing, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I don't know anything about marketing. Um, so, okay. So here's the English tone, the flute, and the piccolo all playing together. But it's a cool build-up. I mean, there's the whole harp celesta doubling thing, and then the pizzicato strings come in, and they sustain, they repeat, and then the English horn comes in, and then it builds up. The, yeah, the melody comes in, and then... And then the piccolo the, comes in doing the motifs. The really cool things, yeah. So it's, um, yes, and I do that in a lot of music, and I'm sure a lot of a other lot composers of do that too. Yeah. So if you're just beginning composing, that's something you should definitely do. Or else you should try not. out. You are not worthy. You are not worthy. You shall not call yourself a composer. <laughs> so let's see. So let's put that all together. All the pick, all the pizzicato, the celesta, the harp. From the beginning, it all sounds like this. So that's just a bunch of instruments doing whatever, going between really just two chords. And then we come to the this weird harmonic shift that I have no idea what I was doing. This is kind of like the really experimental... Well, I guess the all the orchestration was kind of experimental for me too, but this um, harmonic shift was the really big experimental thing, since I have no idea what I was doing. <laughs> Um, and just looking back at the notation, I still have no idea what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> so let me see. The So the flute takes over. So let's see. I guess I'll just play it first so you can hear it. And then I'll see what we can say about it. So the harmo- harmonic shift sounds like this.
Isn't it like weird? That was cool. It isn't really weird, but um, that's a lot of. It's a great technique for modulation. Modulation for those that are completely musically illiterate. Um, that's the changing of the key, the main tonic. You you could hear it. I know you could. Yes. It's like a change. <laughs> yes. So if you if you can't hear it, then you why are you listening? <laughs> Yeah, so it's probably not weird in all of music because there have been plenty of musicians who have done much, yeah, much weirder things. But it's, for me, it's, it's pretty weird since in most of the other music, I don't do anything like that. It's a yeah, it's a great modulation technique, which I just explained. Um, yeah, it's also it catches the listener's attention. It doesn't get them bored. It's it flows smoothly. Like it's just the melody changes key along with it, rather than like repeating the theme. And just like one key up, which is what I do when I'm late. Yeah, it's a. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's kind of one of the experimental aspects of it is that it doesn't. Um, it's the modulation is like right in the middle of that. That English in the melody. melody. Yeah. It's not because in most of my other pieces, I'll in the melody and then I'll build up to another modulation and then I'll go up a major third or something right as it starts a new melody. It's so, it's like right in the middle of any. It's as if it never changed key. What? It's as if it never never changed key. <laughs> yes. 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 So smooth. Um, okay. <laughs> and then sure. we. So that, what? <laughs> so that's that. Yeah. That's that. Um. Just that. Theoretically, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Like what that what exactly what keys that went through and stuff. So I have. Hmm. <laughs> so unfortunately. Okay. Um. <laughs> All right. You go ahead and play the chorus, or is it a chorus? No, it's another theme. Go ahead. Oh, okay. So you mean what happens next after that? Or or whatever. So you, what happens next? Let me see. Yeah. So it wasn't. Oh, let me just mention the. Key, so I don't seem too dumb. Let me at least mention the keys that. So it was an E minor, and it goes to C minor. That's all I know, is that it did that somehow. It went from E minor to C minor, which is down a... I think that's down a major third. Yeah, down a major third, so... Which is uh, an interval that I, like, always use in a lot of my modulations. Major thirds, up major thirds and down major thirds. The best way to change a key too is to go to the dominant. If it, you know, if you have a hard time trying to smoothly transition to another key, you go to the dominant of the key. Oh wait, what's it? Oh wait, people don't know what a dominant is. Google oh, yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the fifth of the yeah. main if the of the key, like like you know five notes up, or something. And well, then this is um, yeah. You go to the dominant of it, and then you can just go right, right to the key chord thing. But what? So what? It would when you're uh, transpose when you're modulating to what key? Won't that depend on what key to, you're modulating to, to? Whatever key you want to go to, go to the fifth below it. It's a way to transition. <laughs> fifth above. I don't know. Google dominant or Wikipedia or whatever. <laughs> Right, moving on. Yeah, this is this. 
Um, I was going to say, oh, oh, yeah. And so what I do in a lot of my other pieces to modulate is instead of doing that, well, I do do the dominant thing because that's how, but a lot of my, um, a lot of my melodies end on anyway is the dominant. Um, but then to go to a new key, I'll just, uh, I think, I think that's right. <laughs> really? <laughs> um, but another thing I'll do is I'll build up. I might have like string. Uh... Oh, who cares? Let's just go on with this piece. <laughs> we'll get to, we'll do that when we talk about some other pieces in the future. Maybe I don't know. Maybe. I think I talked about in Dragon of the Mist. So go back and listen to all those podcasts. I'm sure I did because I do it in that in that piece. My usual style of modulating. Um, so that was a mid melody modulation from E minor to C minor. And now we go into a um, new melody and this melody is on is in the uh, clarinet um, but before we get to the new melody let's I guess just talk about the um, accompaniment how that changes because all of a sudden the Celesta the the harp goes it w the harp was doing a bunch of eighth note arpeggios and now it does 16th note arpeggios so the rhythm changes um, yeah and then the strings come in and go, no, wait, yeah, the violins, they double that. Yeah, and then the, the violins double the 16th arpeggios uh, of the harp. And then the violas and the cellos are doing something entirely different. And the, Yeah, and then they're, I think they're they're going along, they're kind of, they're sort of doubling the oh, arpeggios, yeah, they're but they're... Doubling, like, the key notes, the, the yeah. main sort of notes in the accompaniment. Yeah, they double so they're that. just doubling some of the notes. Um, so this is what, and I don't know if there's any rhyme or reason to why I picked out those certain notes. It's kind of like on the upbeat and the downbeat and the uh, sub-upbeat or sub-downbeat. I have no idea what to call them. But it's kind of like <laughs> those notes in between. Um, but I guess the easiest thing to do is to listen to it. So this is the uh, harp and the violins. When they come in, this is the uh, arpeggios that they're playing. Sounds like this. Um, let's see. So what do we? Okay. So that was. Oh, and I do that a lot uh, with the with the harp. When I have really rapid harp arpeggios, I I double them with the uh, string arco and string a lot. Um, and then let's see, so, so they're doing their arpeggios, and then I have the, uh, Celesta come in, and the cellos and violas in the pizzicato, and so they both sound like this. So that's what they sound. That sounds pretty cool, I think. Yeah, it's like doing the keynotes of yeah, the, the accompaniment phrase and thing. The, and the rhythm is kind of, I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of like hoppy, I guess. Like boom, 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 boom. And so when you put those two together, they sound with, I mean, when you put that, the harp, the violins, and the uh, pizzicato and celestis together, it all sounds like this. Mm 
then you add the clarinet melody. Yeah, and in a lot of my pieces for the um, for the bass notes, I have like really boring parts that are just playing root chords. But in this piece, it, you know, it's doing all that. I think uh, somewhat more interesting rhythmic stuff. Um, okay, and then oh, I guess the bassoon is also playing some arpeggios oh, yeah, in here. Yeah. So let's. So I guess we can see what those sound like added in. And though actually, they're doing something. I don't. So they're they're also playing just little pieces of the uh, little pieces of the arpeggio. So they sound like this. So that's, I don't know, I guess that's kind of like a technique or trick you can use is you write an arpeggio and then you just take out some of the notes and then what's left over is like, it's like you're emphasizing the, that part of the arpeggio. And it can create some really interesting textures. And I think that's something I, I do a lot. And then I also do that kind of thing in reverse where I have like a melody and then I double it, but then I add in the little other notes between the main notes. So that's... Hopefully, interesting. <laughs> Coolio. Um, so then and, the, the, and then the clarinet melody. Clarinet. And so the clarinet melody sounds like this. And so like the uh, previous... And that's really high for the clarinet. Well, not really that high, but it's higher than than lower notes is. Um, <laughs> it's in the high register. Right. Yeah, there you go. It's in the high register of the clarinet, um, which I guess is because it kind of takes over the melody from the oboe, which was somewhere in that range, I guess. Um, and so like the English horn melody, it's um, kind of, it kind of, ha it's kind of flowy. It's, it's a melody made more of, um, more of, what do you call it, like little motifs than it is really a like my other melodies which have a much more I, in my opinion a much larger sense of direction if that makes any sense yeah it's it's a, yeah it's a bit less melodic it's like it's only within five notes and kind of alternating yeah it's just kind of flowy to go over the accompaniment kind of so it's more of a textural I think I guess you could say more of a textural melody that kind of I still think they're melodies you keep yeah. saying Otherwise, we could say. Well, wait. You know what? You did. You did say. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you say. I think tech, depending on how you define melody, because you could really define melody as just any sequence of notes at all. Really, like any arpeggio is technically a it's, melody. It's what you hum well, when you well, recall a song. Well, it can be, but you could also hum arpeggios, I guess. <laughs> I can't do that. What, like the... I can't, I can't. <laughs> hey, uh, what do you call that? Alberta I, I, I don't think many people do that. What's wrong with people? <laughs> Everyone should do that. Um, well then, oh, well, well, whatever. That's a melody, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so let's see. So, so that... Of... Yeah. So that... That goes, the clarinet does that, and so we have, so all that together sounds like this. 
I have the uh, oboe come in. Yeah, the oboe. Not the English horn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it plays basically the same melody. The bassoons uh, just drop out completely. I don't know why. I guess they're tired or something. Because <laughs> you decided. <laughs> <laughs> they had, they have to go back to take a break or something. I hardly use bassoons in any of my pieces. I'm so bad. Sorry, bassoonists. Ooh, bassoons are awesome. I know. I should use them more. The problem is I have so many other instruments, and they're easy to get... They, I think they're easily drowned out if they're not doing something interesting. Right? Do you agree? Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know they get drowned out. Here, here's something that you should do, people. You should give like the bassoon the contrabass even you should give those kind of things melodies sometimes everyone wants a chance at the melody <laughs> yes yes that's and it, plus that's it's kind of cool to hear the bass do the melody that's like advice that i i think it's good advice but i never follow it because i'm so bad i've done it a couple times i need to do it more often um yeah, so the poor bassoonists and poor anybody who's playing the lower bass notes in any of my pieces is just really sad because they don't get anything interesting. <laughs> um, Boom. So, sorry. Boom. Boom. But if... Yeah. Boom. <laughs> but it's, you know, they're important parts. If you take them out, it would sound weird. So you yeah. should... You they're still should. important, but yeah. they're kind of boring. Yeah. For the <laughs> player. Boring, but important. Yeah, you're... <laughs> boring important people it's like it's like um i guess politicians you know boring but important sorry i don't mean to make you guys like politicians but oh well to bad think you. politicians listen to many composing podcasts <laughs> so i think they we're do. fine i'm sure they do in secret they don't want anybody to know though because if somebody <laughs> found out they would all of a sudden be interesting uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so we uh, uh, oboe, 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 oboe. Oh, I guess I should talk about the accompaniment first, because the accompaniment um, it gets all fragmenty and stuff. Basically, I had the arpeggios in there, and then I just went out and took out some more, <laughs> some more notes. <laughs> the um, oh gosh, and looking back on it, I have no idea if there's like any pattern to the notes I was taking out at all. <laughs> it looks kind I of think, yeah. I think what was I saying? Yeah. Um. I think it was the key notes that were being um, played right after when when the oboe comes in. The key notes that the pizzicato, viola, and cello were playing. I think that's what the everything else is playing now. Is it? I don't know. I think well, the the harp and the violins look all weird. Well, sort of. Well, I I think that it is. So I think. <laughs> um, well, if it's ahead. not, it's a technique you can use if you want to. As if like the cello and the viola were like going off and doing their own thing, and then the violins are like, "Oh, look what they're doing! Let's do that." Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Okay, but it's not—it's <laughs> not an exact. They're not doing exactly the same thing. They have a few extra notes in there. Oh yeah, but, well, but they're kind of like but that. they're fragmenting up, so they're oh, so they're more in tune with. Well, they're more matching the pizzicato. Although it looks like yeah. the the double basses dropped out some at some point i can't remember when 
dropped out a few mentors ago, and I didn't mention it because <laughs> they were boring and they were like the politicians, and they just had to go <laughs> take a break. <laughs> um, so this is what the uh, harp and the violins sound like. So they're kind of being weird. Um, and then, yeah, so I think, so you still get like the complete arpeggio in there, but it's like split up as to which one you're hearing because they're not both playing exactly at the same time. They're kind of fragmented up. So that was a, you know, because it was an experimental piece, so I was just fooling around. So that's something, <laughs> another thing that I don't usually do, but it worked. Um, and then you add That's in what the, you have to do with composing. You got to experiment and see yes. what sounds good and what doesn't. Yes. Don't. Yeah. Don't. Just don't experiment and then make it sound bad. I don't know. I've heard a lot of music that's experimental and and it it's, it sounds horrible. Right? Have you ever heard? That? Uh, not really. I don't usually <laughs> look for that stuff or anything. Hmm. I don't usually look for that stuff or anything. Oh, <laughs> you've never listened to experimental music? Oh, I have, but I don't look up bad music. But it, m experimental music usually is is really bad. Not, not all of it. <laughs> have you ever heard like George Crumb? I don't want to say that that's George bad, <laughs> but it's not very really good. Uh, <laughs> no. I don't, I don't know. think I've heard. I don't know. Let's just move on. Oh yeah, you you don't you don't want to hear George Crumb. It's not really. It's really. It's experiment. Uh, it's well, I don't know what it is. Um. Anyway, so adding in, adding in as I insult all the modern comp composers. Uh, this is the cello, violas, whatever. It all all those instruments that were playing the arpeggios. Now they all sound like this. And the, and the Celesta moved up at the ending. Oh, yeah, it did. Why did it do Which that? Which is really cool. No <laughs> oh, and so did the... Well, no, they were doing that before. Oh, I guess it's just more of... They're now copying more of the um, pizzicato. That's really weird. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> oh, man, I'm such a bad composer. Okay, so let's see. <laughs> so, and then the oboe uh, is repeating the melody... Um, but halfway through this melody, you might have already heard it with the harmony. Key change. So it was just playing. Yes, a key change from C minor to A minor, I think. Yeah. So that's uh, down another minor, uh, major third. So it's another. So it's the same kind of shift, sort of. Except I went the other modulation went through a different chord as well. I can't remember. Or maybe it didn't. I don't know. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> so it's a uh, another another mid melody modulation down a major third. So if we go ahead and add in the oboe, it's all together it sounds like this. And then so now we're suddenly in A minor. But even though we don't really stay here for very long in A minor. So that was another mid-melody 
change. Um, and I think uh, having the modulations in mid melody kind of make it interesting. It makes it yeah, and it also I think catches you off guard. I guess. Yeah, the listeners don't. Yeah. You wouldn't expect you it, I guess. Yeah, it's not. It's good to sort of you know sometimes you follow the listeners' expectations, sometimes you don't. Yep. And it catches their attention, and it makes the music not boring. So they listen to the whole song, which is what you're going for. Yes. Or, or yeah. Or you could physically force them to listen to the whole song. But usually that they works don't. Too. They don't. They don't like you much after that. <laughs> True. Um. Unless you, I guess you could. Well, I guess you can't use physical force to make someone like you. That just doesn't. Work. <laughs> uh. What was I gonna say? Like me. <laughs> yes, is um. George Costan. What's his name? Costanza. <laughs> You're going from a comedian to that's from Seinfeld. Yeah, everybody has to like him. Remember that quote? Oh, 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 oh yeah, okay, George Costanza from Seinfeld. Way off, way off topic. Um. Okay. okay um. And that is the end of part two of the uh, the analysis and slash discussion of The Forgotten Wish. Um, the word that I was looking for at the beginning of the podcast was informative. I just thought of it. Yeah, see? Haha. <laughs> um, so I hope that interview was uh, entertaining, if not informative. Hopefully it's informative. But, you know, if I made that my goal, then life would be a lot harder. Uh, so thanks for listening. Uh, thanks again. Many, many, many thanks again uh, to my uh, co-host, uh, Daniel. And you might notice at the uh, at the page, or uh, the website, thecomposedpod.com, now has a nice new WordPress theme. So many thanks to Daniel for editing the background for that with the musical notes uh, that you can see there. I don't know what, what piece that's from, though. I'll have to ask him. Um, but it looks a lot better, doesn't it? Nice and customized and stuff. Uh, yeah, so I installed that new theme and, and did some other customizations to it as well. That looks much better than the boring old uh, default WordPress theme, doesn't it? Um, so that's all. That's nice and looking good. Uh, thanks again for listening. In the next episode, uh, we will continue the discussion of The Forgotten Wish and go on to Part 3, and that'll definitely be here next Friday on the 12th. Thanks for listening.